God is good all the time. He never fails us. He promised never to leave us or forsake us. He's always watching over us. His angels are encamped around about us. His presence is overshadowing us. There's no place to live like living in the presence of the Lord. Amen. It's good to be in the house of God this morning. Amen. You can have your seats for a moment. I'm sorry. I just I couldn't stand just to sit and sing that song. And uh, so sorry to have you stand and then have you sit again. Um, just want to make a couple of uh, missions announcements before we turn to the Word. Not going to take up much time, but you can go ahead and put that up on the screen. I just want to show you some developments or a development on the Message Hub. Uh, and we're so thankful for that. Uh, number one, we've now reached 74 languages. As we've already mentioned, Myanmar and uh, uh, Thai are now up on the Message Hub in book form, available to print, and a number of messages and are growing. And so we're thankful for that. That was a previous announcement. But this morning I, I have a special announcement, and that is that Telugu is now available on Message Hub Mobile. And, and, and that might not mean a whole lot to you, but that means a whole lot to me. Because that's our first language from India that is now on the mobile application. Praise be to God. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Amen. These, the, I put this, the Indian spelling of the name beside it there so you could understand some of the font issues that Brother Darren Hoffman has to go through to get these things running. And, and uh, I believe this is just the first fruits of many languages to come. And so uh, we have... Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize I still had my... Uh, uh, my animations on here, but uh, this is now all the languages that we have on the mobile application. And we've added six this year, five of which we've already previously announced, and now the Telugu language. And we are now out of room on this slide. <laughs> and we'll have to go to a smaller font or another slide or something. I say praise the Lord. That, what that means is that these are now available without cost to anybody. They don't have to print them. They don't have to uh, get the paper, the printer, the books, all of that kind of thing. They can download it directly to their mobile device, whether it's a phone or a tablet. And they can have all of the translations linked to the Bible. So that they can follow in the Bible and click on the links of what the Scripture is beside the Scripture that will take them to what Brother Branham said about the Scripture. And they can also search within their own language and all of those kind of things. And so I thank God for the laborers, uh, both in India, the Telugu brothers and sisters who have labored to make this possible, not just the messages, but also the Bible. And, uh, and also, of course, thank you, Brother Darren Hoffman, for your labors and all that God has gifted him in this field to make this a blessing to the bride of Jesus Christ. Amen. One last uh, statement I'll, I'll make, and that is you remember this uh, group in Uganda who has come into the message and were had kicked out of their denominational church. There was about 100, I can't remember the number now, 130, 150, I can't remember the number of believers in total in the two areas. We have now uh, been able to help them to buy a piece of land. We thank God for that. 
And uh, we have set a, a preliminary budget to get a stable roof over their heads. Nothing fancy, not a whole church, but a roof with some sort of walls and basically a shelter from the elements. And we've set the, the budget at $10,000. And so there were some people that were asking about that. And so that's what we have done. And we believe that God will provide for their needs. The one who called them into light is able to keep them in the light. And is able to provide for everything they have need of. So I'll just let you make that known to you. God bless you abundantly. Amen. And we thank God for His mercies. Amen. Are you ready for the Word? Let's take our Bibles and stand together. Hebrews chapter 10. I'm, I'm hurrying. I feel pressed for time. But um, I just believe that the Lord who condenses His Word is able to condense this service. <laughs> or at least what I have to say. Uh, but yet make it impactful. I was, I was going over the scriptures once again just before the service and just looking at different scriptures and there was one statement that jumped out at me and I, I just thought, thank God for those five words that He put in the Bible. It was just five words in, a, in, one, in one scripture. I thought, how powerful that is. What would we do if we didn't have that statement? And uh, the Lord has so blessed us abundantly. We also, at the end of the service, have a baptism. Sister Tracy's sister, Sister Way, is going to be baptized. Amen. Amen. Is she here? Okay. Uh, ah, there she is over there. <laughs> I was just looking over here expecting you to be here, but you're there. God bless you. We're so glad you've accepted what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you. Amen. Let's bow our heads together in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for what you have done for each and every one of us, Lord. This truly, Father, is a personal gospel. Lord, you came by my way. Lord, you came by our ways individually, not the joining of a church, not the agreeing of a doctrine, but a visitation from on high. That, Lord, you shone the light on our pathway, just like you did to the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago, Lord, and you caused him to change his way. And now, Lord, you've caused us, Lord, to walk in the light of the hour. We say, blessed be the name of the Lord. And Lord, for that reason, we've come to worship you this morning. We've come to lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That name above every name. Lord, by whose name we are saved and through whose blood we are cleansed. And by faith in that name, we have received the atonement. Lord, we thank you for your grace. And Lord, we are here together again this morning. Lord, your word is precious. It's not important that a man's thoughts be conveyed. But Lord, let us hear what the Spirit, the Spirit, is speaking to the church. Lord, the Holy Spirit has something that you want to say, Lord, this morning. And we want to yield ourselves. We want to tap into that channel. 
Lord, we want to be surrendered to the moving and the unction of divine power this morning. That, Lord, that resurrection power would move out amongst not just this congregation gathered here. There might be somebody watching on the internet. There might be somebody in the days ahead downloading the message. Lord, it might go out to somebody. But, Lord, let that visitation of the Holy Spirit come by someone's way this morning who has not received it. And those of us that have already received it, we shall also rejoice in the God of our salvation. And Lord, we thank you that we could be here now as we turn back this word. There's so much, Lord, burning in my heart and my mind this morning. Lord, may you just direct it the way you want it, Father. I give myself to you that you might discern the thoughts and intents of every heart, Lord, knowing what is needed. And Lord, may you take control for your glory. I also want to remember Brother Tom. He would have stood here this morning, Lord. Him and his his family have some uh, burdens that they're dealing with, Lord. And we're bearing them up this morning, Lord. I don't know what he wants to be said or not said, but Lord, he's our brother. And we love him. And Lord, we pray you be with him and the family. And Lord, we ask your blessing now upon every part of the service. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshippers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. All right, now we're actually continuing on from what we spoke two weeks ago on the story of perfect. And uh, I realized as I was studying this week that uh, this is the type of subject you could take 20 or 30 parts on and come at it from 20 or 30 different directions. But, uh, you know, we just try and follow the mind of God. And I, I, want to, I want to zero in on one aspect this morning, and that is the unimpaired conscience. The unimpaired conscience. Alright? And so now as we've read verse 1 and 2, it says the worshippers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. And we'll come back to that. But jump to verse 12, if you would. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. And then we'll jump down to verse 21. And having a high priest over the house of God... Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Amen. The Lord has blessing to the word. You may be seated. I'm going to jump in with both feet and start digging. And I might dig myself a hole as I start, but I'm hopefully be out of it by the end of the service. 
Now the Bible, we know, is a love letter. Are you with me? I'm jumping in with both feet here. We know the Bible is a love letter. And God wants you to understand it. Alright? Just the same as if I wrote a letter to my wife or had a conversation with her, I would want her to understand me. Amen? Not just to believe that I love her. You know, I think love desires more than just faith. Love desires more than just confidence. Love desires understanding. You know, there was a time when God, who is love, was alone with His thoughts and and He desired fellowship. And that's the reason that that we are even manifested is for fellowship with God. But there's there's an underlying desire behind that. It isn't just somebody to visit with. God just isn't desiring just somebody to have a coffee with or, or something. God is desiring an intimate relationship with His bride. Amen. It's something, someone He could tell His secrets to. Someone that He could convey His thoughts to. Someone that he could... I was thinking this past week, I've, I, I was, I've, I've put, never written a book. I've put together books, compiled books, you could say, of devotion, taken from the message of the hour and the Bible. And, not, and I never wanted to put my thoughts into it. I felt that God had sent a prophet in this day. And I felt that what was in the message was more important than anything that I could convey. And so I, I put the Bible and the, and the message into a daily devotion. And I always wondered and I always appreciate the, the feedback that I get often I get testimonies from overseas and different places how much they're a blessing and different ones that read them every day and so on and so forth but I I happen to be thinking about as I read the Bible and I was reading a certain scripture and 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 I was pondering what the Lord had spoken through I think it was the Apostle Paul and it caused to be written in the Word that we call the Word of God now and I, I was thinking oh Lord how much I love your Word and then as I said that, I, I thought, you know, how much it must mean to God to be able to feel our feelings as we read His Word. You know, even somebody that reads the family altar books and they say, oh, thank you, Brother Tim, they're a blessing, so on and so forth. But I don't feel what they feel. But yet I believe that God feels what we feel. God is touched. If He's touched by the feelings of our infirmities, surely He's touched by the feelings of our emotions. Surely He's touched by the feelings of our imaginations and different aspects of our, of our human spirit as we convey to Him and are moved by the supernatural impact of this divine Word of God. Just happens to be the way that I see it. You know, I, I, and getting back to the human realm, I, I just say as, as I was... Because I'm talking about marriage of the, of the earthly bride to the heavenly bridegroom. We have also a natural marriage. And I don't want my wife just to believe that I love her. I want her to know what that means. I want her to understand my motives. I want her to understand me. Are you with me? Come on, brothers. Paul says in the book of Ephesians, he says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That you being rooted 
and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Now there's a statement. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. So the knowing is beyond knowledge. But yet the knowing is knowledge. So there's a knowing that, that comes in being this relationship. And he says, furthermore, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. So the desire of the Holy Spirit. I don't think Paul was just speaking out of his own desires here. I believe this is the Lord speaking to the church. And as is written in the book of Ephesians, we know that we have come to another Ephesian age. Yeah. Amen. Those of you that are familiar with the the message of the hour and what it speaks about the age that we're living in, we realize we have come to a bride age. Not another church age, but not another messenger, but it's an age of maturity, an age or an era of a change of relationship. I was talking with another minister about this just this week from another area and how that, you know, we, we have to recognize that there was a change... I'll say, uh, now my mind goes back to a subject that Brother Bisco preached on called the administration of the Son of Man. That there was a change of administration, which meant a change of anointing, which God moved in, in the Laodicean age from a man anointing to an eagle anointing. All right, he moved from the restoration of the word into the revealing of the word that had never been revealed. All right, so it required a change of anointing. And because of that now, and I'm not going in, this isn't my subject. But what I'm saying is because of that, it entitled us to a change of relationship from the betrothed to the bride. It brought us in union with the word of God. It brought the church of the living God to no more be called church, but now be called bride. And so that now we enter into a more intimate relationship with God than has ever been entered into by the church. And this is the relationship that God has always desired. I always think about how that I was in uh, Africa one time and I was was getting lonely after two weeks uh, being uh, in a couple of different countries there in Africa. And I was coming up to the last service and, and praying and feeling sorry for myself and, you know, how. That, that I, I was feeling like, oh Lord, you know, it'd be so nice to be home and be with the family and be with the wife and be just back into a regular home life. And I feel like I'm, I miss my wife. It's been two long weeks, Lord. Uh, if you just bear with me, I've I, I just waited two weeks and I'm just feeling sorry for myself, praying. And, and, and then something spoke down in my heart and said, but I've waited 6,000 years. <laughs> He's desired family relationship. Not on a natural, but a spiritual level. He's desired to come in that perfect oneness with his church that she would understand his very motives and objectives. See, there's a whole lot more to the Bible than being born again. There's a whole lot more than your relationship. I appreciate Brother... brother, Victor yesterday at the reception saying, talking about, you know, how that 
you know, certainly the feelings of a young man and how the things that he'd been through and the expectations and the long engagement and all of these things that had happened and so much was on their minds and, you know, they couldn't wait for the day and finally he says, he says, and it's over. I say, it's just beginning. <laughs> all right. And, and, you know, that's what it is about marriage. There's more, a whole lot more to marriage than just meeting at the altar. Those of us that are married can say amen to that. All right. And, and so there, there is a uniqueness to every relationship. But I want to ask the question now. And I thought, how am I going to convey this? I almost singled you out yesterday, Sister Joanne. You forgive me. Forgive me, Brother Tom. He's, well, that look on your face tells me I'm going to get it if I make a misstep here. <laughs> but I was going to ask her a question. How long were you married? And I don't know the answer to this, so you don't have to answer it. But how long were you married when you said, you know what? I finally understand this man. <laughs> don't answer. <laughs> You can plead the fifth, even though it's Canada. All right. When you get married and you embark on the relationship, I'm in kind of a unique um, situation because I've been married now three and a half years, and yet I know what it is to be married for 30 years. And so uh, I'm very thankful for the experiences uh, from my first wife that the Lord took home. And I had a brother uh, tell me a a question or ask me a question. He He says, Brother Tim, how are you going to do it? You and your wife were such a great team. He says, it seemed like you just looked at Sister Allison and she understood you. And I said, yeah, I think I think it was almost at that level. But it didn't start at that level. It didn't begin there. Marriage oftentimes uh, goes through its stages of, I'll say, not frustration, that's a little bit too strong, but stages of adventure where uh, you think you understand somebody and then they do something and you go, where did that come from? And you all know what I'm talking about, I can tell. And so there comes a point in life where you begin to understand the background of the person. And especially if you're married young, you begin to, you know where they come from. You've grown up together, you've matured together, maybe you've raised children together. And you come to places, to come to the place hopefully in marriage. And I would say it would be a terrible thing to arrive at 25 years of marriage and say, I don't understand this man. Or I don't understand that woman. Can you say amen to that? If you're there, that's a terrible place to be in. You know, you want to have been to a certain experiences in life till you can say, oh, I know why he did it that way. Maybe nobody else might understand, but you know. And I'll say it's the same way in a Christian experience. I would hate to be standing here this morning and say, I've been a Christian for 25 years, but really I don't understand what that means. 
I really don't understand God's redemptive purpose. I don't really understand. And, and while we be learning more of our infinite God, I speak about you know, imperfect husbands and imperfect wives. You know, we can reach a certain level of understanding, but we have an infinite God who's perfect. And, and we, we have a heavenly bridegroom that throughout eternity we'll be learning more about Him. Yet we want to be able to say in our Christian experience, I know why he wants me to do something the way he wants me to do it. I don't believe God just wants us to walk blindly in our Christian experience. And, you know, he wants us just to have faith. I'm not saying we understand everything. But he doesn't want us to walk blindly in our Christian experience and say, well, I just do this, you know, just because the Bible says it. No, there there begins to be a a development of a relationship. And it's a love relationship that God's desiring. You'll understand why I'm laying the foundation this way in a little bit. And And so... Uh, because when God has disappointment in us, it's not because of works, but, but rather it's that our works reflect that we really don't understand Him. In other words, I'll say, living below our privileges. If you're living below your privileges, you don't know what your privileges are. Because if you knew you had a privilege to something, you'd live there. Amen? Brother Branham must have reflected on the mind of God when he talked about how Israel, he took, takes the scripture out of Exodus and Deuteronomy, and how that he reflects how that God wanted to speak directly to Israel. And how he come down amongst them and they heard the voice of God. What does he want to do? He's wanting to convey himself to Israel. He's wanting to enter into a union. And, and, and Ezekiel describes it, describes the feelings of God towards Israel. I found you in the field and, you know, I washed you and I cleansed you and I, 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 I clothed you. And, and there came a time of maturity. There came a time for love. In other words, there came a time for expressions of desire between us. But you would not. You had other ideas on your mind. You were so bound to an earthly plane. I wanted to lift you up into my thoughts, but you were staying in an earthly level. And how Brother Branham spoke about how Israel desired a law. They desired to live a religious life by do's and don'ts. Rather than entering into relationship with God. And woe unto us as we walk in this glorious light of the hour. When God sends a message in this day, it's not to give us a greater knowledge of do's and don'ts. God has come down in this hour and revealed Himself to only His bride that He might express Himself in love and that we might respond to Him in the same love. Whether you agree with me or not, that's just the way that I see it. I I can't really see it any other way. And so God doesn't want our works based on us being told to do something, but works that come from a love relationship with Him. I trust that anything that my wife, naturally speaking, does for me, she does it because of love. Not because that I tell her to do it that way. And if she does it from love, then she does it from an understanding. That my husband desires certain things and I want to make him happy. 
And I desire to make him happy as he desires to make me happy. And that's the same way it is in a spiritual relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I desire to make him happy as he desires to make me happy. So John writes it this way, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. So then we never operate out of fear. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Alright? So love that is made perfect does away with fear. It's not a fear that God will divorce me. It's not a fear that He'll put me away. It's not a fear that He'll cast me into hell. I'm living, I want to live up to where my privileges are. If I'm not, I want to go all the way there. And I want to enter into the relationship with God the way that it should be if I'm not there already. And I trust that I have a level of relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let me put it this way. I'm so thankful for the revealing of the Word that has brought me into relationship with Him. I'm glad that we've come out of the denominational ages. Oh, I hope you're happy for that. This word did not come to produce another denomination. It did not come to produce a headquarters. It did not come to produce a preacher that's over you. It did not come to produce a Nicolaitis. It didn't come for me to tell you what to do and how to live. It came to produce a relationship of the Holy Ghost in you that something inside of you is telling you how to do and how to live. Amen. Something that's way above what man will say. And when the Word speaks, there's something in you that just says amen to the Word. And when you say amen to the Word, there's a love that is conveyed to God and back to you that He looks at you and says, Oh, how He loves me. Oh, how she loves me. That was very straight when I said it that way. But she loved me anyway and she understood that it was from me. It was part of my character. It was part of my makeup. She understands me. And she loves me. Hallelujah. So I want to ask you a question. How could Adam leave perfection to redeem Eve? Not deceived. For the man was not deceived. Not deceived, but out of love. Alright? Not human emotion. But perfect love. Adam had to make a choice to leave perfection by a perfect act of love to redeem Eve to himself, thereby losing perfection. See, Brother Tim, you just scrambled my brain. Perfection is not what we think it is. We have a human idea of what perfection is. And it's so wrong. When love is perfected and projected, then that brings sovereign grace on the scene to produce the desired result. True love, perfect love, is more powerful than action that is perceived as perfect. Now let's leave you with those couple of statements. Brother Brown says in 1959, he says, Sometimes I wonder if we intellectual Americans 
have enough discernment to discern right from wrong. That's 59. And here we are in 2017. And it's really bad. He says, especially the juvenile courts, which is the government, that prove that we haven't got it to discern right and wrong for our children. They seem to have a good psychologist's answer, for example, or for instance, like this. If Junior comes up to his papa, stomps his little feet and screams out and shakes his head and says, Dad, I don't care what you say, I want a hot rod. Brother Brown says that's typical America. For you young people, hot rod is a souped up car. You might not be familiar with that term, maybe you are. And so he's saying, I want a hot rod. And the father says, all right, Junior, I'll buy it for you. Now you could say to that dad, why did you do it? And the dad says, oh, I love him. And Brother Bram says, you remember, Dad, Junior is going to grow up to be a man someday. And he will marry and have a family. And God help that wife that lives with a boy that's been brought up like that to have his way about everything he wants. He says, can't discern right from wrong. He says, that's not love, that's pure ignorance. And then he says, the Bible's right. And he says, spare the rod and you'll spoil the child. The actual scripture is, foolishness is bound in the heart of the child, but the rod will drive it far from him. Alright? And so we see that, we know that love in its pure form is the Holy Ghost, which is God. All right, and that's where we're starting. That's our foundation. If you'd put that slideshow up for me. Last week we went through these scriptures, and I want to just refresh ourselves. Or not last week, two weeks ago, I'm sorry. We went through these scriptures and how that, you know, Brother Bradham in 1956 and 57 zeroed in on the, on the subject of perfect, and then at the end of 57 preached on the Hebrew series. And, and dealt a lot with, because the, the word perfect is dealt with in largely in the book of Hebrews. And uh, it's, it's a very great study, although Brother Branham didn't make it all the way through the book of Hebrews. But uh, I want to just look at the scriptures in Hebrews and as we connected them together last time. And it says in chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. All right? So that then we realize that there is someone that is the captain of our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he had to suffer some things to enter into the perfection that God describes as perfection. And being made perfect in chapter 5, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. And we could have spent a whole service on that sentence. A repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. 
If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there of another priest that should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. This is as far as we went last week, or last time. And, and so we realized that the law wasn't what brought perfection, even though there was suffering under the law, but that didn't bring anybody to perfection. But the bringing in of a better hope did, by which we draw nigh to God. This is the desire of God. Not that we would be perfect on our own, but we would be drawn close to His perfection. We talked about the meeting with God and the power of a meeting with God and the trajectory that it sets us in in our lives, and uh, which was a figure for the time then present in which we in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. Now we enter into the conscience. But Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, for the law, having a shadow of good things to come, not the very image of things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Now, I want to stop there. And verse 2 says it in chapter 10, and I don't have that up on the screen. Matter of fact, you can take down now the slides. Thank you. It says, For then would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshippers once purged should have no conscience of sins. Now, are you with me so far? All right. Brother Branham takes the thoughts of conscience and reasoning and memory and affection and imagination and he ties that to the human spirit and calls them channels calls them senses in the human spirit and it puts to rest many as I've read much this week of past ideas of conscience and there's a there a very limited viewpoint because the English word conscience has changed its meaning from the King James time. Even Brother Branham mentions that. And so you have to uh, look behind the meaning here and not that we're Greek scholars or theologians by any means, but rather that we are, we want to just ask the Holy Spirit to cause us to understand what He's doing in our lives. That we might know how to be in relationship with Him to the level He wants us to be. Amen. I, I, I don't know about you. I, do, I don't want to just be saved. I recognize by the message of the hour that I was called to be an amateur God on this earth. To me, that's not just a phrase. I want to understand what that means. I want to know what it is to live in this realm having contact with another realm. I want to know what it is to be what God intended me to be in the first place. Or in other words, to be what I always was meant to be. And I was mentioning to the, to the high school class in, in devotions the other day, I says, the reason that, that you see so prevalent now these superheroes, you know, of, of uh, uh, 
You know, in my day it was Superman and Batman, and, but now they've got all kinds of superheroes of uh, Thor and, and the big green guy and, and you know, the, 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 um, uh, the Ma- Iron Man and, and, and I can't even think of all of them, but, you know, they're all, they're all out there. What, what is it reflecting? There's something in man. Brother Adam actually says it in one place in Super Sign. He says it that way. Why do men have there's these ideas of making something super? He says it's because in him was to be a supersede. In Him was to be a Son of God. In, the, in human nature, God made us that way. We were not meant to be lived bound by these earthly constraints. We were meant to live as sons of God. But our power does not come by the flesh. Those so-called superheroes they got in the movies, that's fleshly power. Our power is not of this flesh. Amen. Our power is of an inward power. That there's something on the inside of the inside of a believer that's been born again by the Word of God. It's divine love, the very power that created this universe that we live in. And how that, you know, we, when we think of the universe, and I was over there in Murfreesboro, and how that, you know, we, we think of the universe and how big it is. And science looks out there with their telescopes and their, their vast galaxies and, and star systems and, and constellations and whatever more that's out there. And they say the, the universe that is known is 14 billion light years across, and, which means that if you traveled for 14 billion years at the speed of light you would reach the other side. All right, that's what they're saying. So it's that huge. And, so, and, and the, the carnal-minded man says, if it's that huge, how is it that this little earth is so important? They cannot believe that we're it, that important. But let, yet, let me tell you by the Word of God, it says in Genesis 1 and verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then the very next verse, the focus of God from the entire heavens and the earth, it says, and the earth was without form and void. This great God who knows every star in its place, knows how much distance is between them and all of those things, and knows everything about them because He made them and set them in order. He then focuses right down to this little place called the earth. Now let me tell you, sometimes we look at the earth as such a big place. Seven billion people. Brother Murphy, Sister Wei comes from China. One and a half billion people. Sister Tracy and different ones come from there. You know, huge numbers of people. And you think, what is this big earth? But let me tell you, the God that knows every soul on the earth has focused His attention right down to this meeting this morning. It's important to Him. And in this meeting, you might say, well, there's hundreds of people here. No, in this meeting, God focuses His attention on you individually. It's not, I, I'm not speaking to a group of people. Somehow God is taking this vessel and addressing you individually. Because that's how great God is. He wants you to know, I want you to understand me. I want you to go beyond the conscience that you were born with. Now, we often think of conscience as, you know, America's founding principle is that America, our cousin to the south there, that, uh, you know, they have founded on the freedom of worship according to the dictates of a man's conscience. But I searched 
their constitution and its conscience is not in there. As far as I could find, maybe you could find it. I searched the Canadian constitution. Conscience is not in there. Though it's implied in talking about a freedom of religion. Conscience is a word that we recognize and to, it, to us it means a lot of different things. It, we kind of have a vague feeling of we understand it. But I want to say this, you've got a conscience, but your conscience could not be made perfect under the blood of bulls and goats. Or it could not be made perfect under the law, which the law was perfect. There's nothing wrong with the law. But yet, in itself, it could make nobody perfect. It was a description of the perfect nature of God and showing that no man could attain unto that. But there was something there. And, and, and we realized that this blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was shed at Calvary has done something in that realm of the conscience that has changed us from what we were to a new creature. And has caused us to understand things different in this conscience realm. You understand why I'm saying this in just a moment. Because God wants relationship with you through an unimpaired conscience. And I'm, I'm zeroing in now very finely on, in the scripture. Very, to a very tiny point here. But yet it's, it can be so magnified. Because conscience in the very meaning of the word. It's the sole term in the New Testament. I'm reading from a dictionary now. Denoting the human conscience. This Greek word. What the Greek is is not important. It says, As the created moral faculty for discerning between good and evil. Alright. I'll let that digest just for a moment. You need to know the difference between good and evil. And you could never know that under the law. You could never come to a pure conscience under the law. You could never come to that place where you properly understood right was right and wrong was wrong. And Brother Branham explaining the scripture, he says, when you, when you have no more conscience of sin because you're purged, he says it's referring to desire. And so that the believer once purged now has no more desire for sin. But why is it that the desire is taken away? Of course, the nature is changed. The very nature of God is put into the soul realm. But there comes something that changes in the new birth. And it's the entire spirit of a man that has been renovated to properly accommodate the relationship between you and God. That God has a desire. He doesn't just want to give you His nature in your soul. But rather, He wants you to properly relate according to the nature that He desires you to have from the beginning now no one wants to sin when we understand the true impact of sin if you talk to anybody on the street you talk about separation from God judgment nobody wants to go to the judgment as a sinner nobody wants to rob themselves of blessing when they understand that sin and how it robs them of blessing. Nobody wants to, to live a life. Doesn't matter whether you're a sinner or a saint. That, that would cause the anger of God or the wrath of God to be upon them. Amen? Come on. That's human nature. Nobody go, people don't go to churches to be sinners. 
People go to churches as little of the word that might be there. They go for it there to find an understanding. They go to find a release from this evil nature that they were born with. But Eve in the beginning was born without sin and she sinned by deception. She was made to think that sin was not sin. That if you do this, you'll be like God. In other words, you'll have a greater enlightenment between good and evil. And you'll be able to, to enter into a higher level of relationship. But it, it didn't actually come out that way because she was deceived. The devil already knew that that was what was going to happen. But he, wanted, he had to convince her, don't worry, this is not sin. Or in this age we might say, don't worry, there's no God. We wouldn't say it, but somebody might say it. You know, don't worry, there's no God. It doesn't matter what you do. Or, or perhaps you can deal with it at a later hour. Or it's okay to do with it. It's okay to run with it. It's never okay to sin. Even for the sinner, it's not okay. You must find an escape from sin. There is a God in heaven that one day will judge the hearts of all men. And there will be those that will be thrown into the lake of fire. You don't want to be there. And we're not here to preach that do's and don'ts, but we're here to tell you that Christ came and made a way of escape through His own blood. So this word conscience, it's an interesting word. In, the, in its Greek form, it's a compound word and a, a between two words. And its fundamental idea is knowing together with oneself. All right? it, therefore, it denotes a consciousness which one has within himself of his own conduct related to moral obligation. That might seem like a lot of big words. And I've, I was reading this and I said to myself, why do they have to use such complicated language to try and describe something? It's, it's a function within you of determining what is right or wrong. Approving or condemning. And then this next thought really stirred my heart. Urging to performance or abstinence. Remember, the soul controls the spirit, the spirit controls the body. Now, the conscience is given you to urge you to act or not to act. To bring you to a place in your life where you say, I must do this. I must. It, it, it creates an urgency within the individual. But if the conscience is impaired, then what happens to that urgency? I was thinking about impaired driving, which by God's grace I never drank in my life as far as any, I think I can, as far as other than wine maybe, I suppose, communion, and uh, as far as alcoholic beverage. So I don't know what it means to be impaired under alcohol. I'm sure many of you do. And, but having read enough about it, you know, the driver that is impaired, he can still drive. But his judgment is impaired. His reactions are impaired. And his, his, uh, uh, 
his judging of the results of his actions is impaired. I can do this. I can make it home. Everything will be all right. Not realizing he's putting people's lives at risk. He's putting his own life at risk. Or his own well-being at risk. And as the driver drives down the road, he, he, he can't correctly judge the distance between the vehicles. He can't correctly judge that he's, he's not driving in a straight line, but he's swerving all over the road. He's, one, he's going in this direction, then he, he overcorrects in another direction, and, and, and he's, he, he, he thinks in his mind he's doing okay, but to the outside observer, he's driving very dangerously. He's doing things that a man ought not to do. And I was thinking about that in terms of how we're born with an impaired conscience. We think we can operate okay. We're human beings. We know what's right and what's wrong. You don't. Without the new birth, you don't understand. That's why a man's not in his right mind until he's born again. You think, well, I understand that there's a God and I understand there's a good book and I understand you should do good to others. It's much more than that. But by the new birth, it it births your entire inner being and strengthens you in the inner man and gives you to understand there is another realm. There is consequences to your behavior. And so that when you see something or you hear something or you comprehend something that's contrary to the Word of God, a holy conscience rises up and says, I must stay away from that. It drives you to action. It drives you again when you see the devil come in and you recognize the promise of God and the privileges that you have as a son or daughter of God. Where it's written in the word, you have been given so many promises that you might be partakers of the divine nature. That you might walk as an amateur God on the earth. There's something that rises up within you now as a pu- with a pure conscience. It says, I must obtain the promise for this problem. Now, if you're not operating that way, you're impaired. Hello? If you're putting up with your problems, you're impaired. If If you're living below your privileges, you don't rightly judge the situation. Your discernment between right and wrong has somehow been impaired. But God doesn't want a relationship like that. All right. In John chapter 8, you still with me? I'm hardly gone anywhere and the time is escaping us. Oh, that eternity might set in right now. In John chapter 8, they brought to Jesus a woman taken in adultery. And they said, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? Now they had the law. And they had... Uh, uh, someone that it was in obvious transgression of the law caught in the very act of which the law says she should be stoned. But the problem was their judgment was impaired. 
This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him... Now let me just stop there for a moment. Um, I would say that the desire of Jesus was not to get involved with them in judgment of this woman. He was not wanting to take his pure conscience and defile it with their impure conscience. There was no way he could argue or debate with them. And so he, he, uh, he continued on. They continued asking him and he lifted up himself and said to them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, the Bible says, being convicted by their own conscience... Oh, now he knew how to reach into that conscience realm. It says, now they have, they have an action that they want to do. They found this woman. They want to take up stones and stone her. Really, in their hearts, they wanted to stone him. But they were using this woman as an excuse. They were using this problem as an excuse to say the word is not in effect. Hello? They were raising their problems up above the level of the Word. There's no solution. The only solution in the Word for this is that we stone her. But they were looking at the Word with an impaired conscience. And as Jesus stooped back down to write upon the ground, the Bible says they were convicted by their own conscience. And they went out one by one, beginning at the eldest even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are thine accusers? Has no man condemned thee? She says, No man, Lord. Listen, she's standing there with an impaired conscience too. She's standing there understanding my life could end at any moment. Praise the Lord. Sometimes we think it's a terrible thing we found ourselves in the midst of. But out of this terrible thing, God brought grace to this woman. She thought, my life is over and I've made a terrible mistake and I've been caught in my terrible mistake and my life is over. Listen, don't ever say that. The God who knows all things is able to solve your problem if you'll just get out of the realm of an impaired conscience and let the Word of God quicken you into a higher level of relationship with Him. And there was the woman standing there by himself. She says, nobody accuses me, Lord. And she says, he says to her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now I want to ask you, was his judgment a perfect judgment? It was a perfect judgment. But it wasn't perfect in their eyes. Because they were looking at it with the wrong kind of a conscience. God's saying there's a higher level here that I've come not to condemn, I've come to redeem. He didn't know, he just go he didn't say go your way and do whatever you want to do. He said, Go your way and sin no more. Go your way and let your life be changed. Come, you've come in contact with the Redeemer. Now let that contact be a change in your life. Hallelujah. Brother Branham talks about the ability to discern between right and wrong in many places. And the, there was something here that was a higher, more, greater level than the law. 
a non-impaired conscience that awakens true action. A word birth that gives an ability. Jesus was born by the word. He had a word birth just like you are born again by the word of God. And that word birth gave him a higher ability than anybody else have. An ability to really understand the thoughts of God for he was the thoughts of God. But we also are the thoughts of God. But by the new birth we come into that revelation that uh, that our walk in this world is not of this world. That every law, that every every, uh, man-made idea, every ism that's in this world was made through an impaired conscience. But the bride of Jesus Christ has come to her unimpaired state so that she can rise up in true judgment in her life and say, I know exactly what my Lord once done with the Word. I know exactly what He desires. She knows what it is to walk with Him. I'm just... Brother Bradham says in the Hebrew series, he says, what do you care what the world thinks? What do you care what your neighbor thinks? Our conscience has died. And we're regenerated and born again by the Spirit of God to serve the true and living God. God moving us into relationship with Him. Alright. I have to skip over some here. Let me, just, let me just comment on this. I believe God's real. I believe He has desires for your life and I believe He wants you to know them. Alright. I was Brother Tom knows this one. He I was in prayer. I got invited to some meetings. This is just a small thing. But I, I was invited to some meetings in Africa a while back, about two months ago. Brother wrote me, a brother that I count as a dear friend, and invited me to a country that I haven't been to for a while and says we're having anniversary meetings, we want you to come. I thought, Oh, I want to go. I think that would be wonderful. It would be wonderful to be a part of their meetings. And so I was just praying about it and praying about it and looking for the Lord, to the Lord to give some direction. And there was no direction. I thought, this is strange. There was not a yes or a no. And I thought, you know, I, I, really, want, I really am desiring to go, but that's a long way to go just because I want to. And so I thought, you know, what will I do? And so time went on and went on. I thought, you know, I really need to reply to this brother. And I need to let him know whether I'm going or whether I'm not going. And, and I was just praying, Lord, if you don't give me some direction, then, then I won't go. Because I won't go just because I feel like going. And yet, there was, yet I didn't have a no from the Lord either. That said, no, you can't go. And so it was like I had to make a decision by myself. And I thought, well, you know, if I, if I don't have any direction from the Lord, I'm just not going to go. And, uh, but I, yet I hesitated because I wanted to go. So that was kind of a strange paradox there, isn't it? And so, so I was having the senior devotion last week. And, and uh, I thought, you know, I, was, I promised myself, okay, last, the weekend before last week, I'm going to write the brother and tell him I'm not coming. And I didn't do it. So I even broke my own promise to myself. And uh, I thought, here I, here I am in, in this dilemma and time's running out, and the meetings are in February. And so I'm talking to Brother Kim, and, and uh, um, 
I don't, wow, now I'm into an area I'm not even sure I should be saying. But uh, I, I was, I'll just maybe put it in, in, uh, in one terminology. And I, I said, you know, I was talking to Brother Kim about certain things. And, and then he reminded me about something. And so I thought, oh. And so I went to Brother Tom that same day. I said, you got five minutes? He says, yeah. I, says, I said, are you going to be away in February? Like on this particular weekend? He says, yeah, I just made plans to leave the country on that weekend. And Brother Tom and I always have a deal. If he's away, I'm always home. And I can't really go away unless he's home, which he's home most of the time, which makes it okay for me. But I thought, you know, now I know why God wouldn't give me an answer. Because Brother Tom hadn't even decided to go away. I hope that's okay to say that. He hadn't even decided up till, I think, that week to go away. But God was obviously working on him. And so there, there I was left standing in abeyance waiting for the leading of the Lord. See, you've got to have a clear conscience. You've got to know, I'm not doing this for myself. Lord, what do you want? What is your desire? What is your will? And, and, and that's just a small thing. And, and that, but it just might be insignificant to you. But it was significant to me. To just say, oh Lord, you were watching over me. I so could have said, you know what, I want to go. You know, I just want to be there and, and, and I just want to be a part of those meetings. But, but you know, I, I wanted above my will, I wanted God's will. And you've got to know the difference between right and wrong because even your own natural feelings can lead you in a wrong direction. Brother Paul talks about, you know, conscience sake in Corinthians and I really don't have time to go into that, but I'll just drop it in here. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 10. And he talks about, you know, uh, meat being offered to idols and how uh, one's conscience being weak can be defiled if you, knowing that meat offered to idols is nothing, but you go ahead and eat it, uh, knowing that that brother is offended by you offer, eating meat offered to idols. And so he's, he's conveying the wrestling of the conscience here. And, he, and I'll sum it up with this scripture out of chapter 10. He says, But if any man say unto you, This is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not for his sake that showed it, and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord, and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. So there's a comprehension that everybody has a conscience. Everybody has something in the way that God is dealing with them and God is in relationship with them and you're not just your own, your life influences others. And Paul says, if, if I knew eating meat offended anybody, I'd never eat meat again. He says, that's just the way that I am because my desire is not to offend somebody else's conscience. Not to make them think that I've done something wrong because they think it's wrong even though I know it's not wrong. So conscience of relationship goes into a higher level than just right and wrong. It goes into how is my life influencing somebody else. So then my conscience goes beyond just the letter of the Word. It goes to the leadership of the Spirit, Lord. Do you want me to do something or don't you want me to do it? It doesn't matter whether I can find an excuse. Hello? It doesn't matter whether I can find a quote. 
It doesn't matter whether I can justify something. No, Lord, I want a clear conscience. I want to be absolutely pure before you. I don't want to offend anybody on this earth. I want to live my life for others. Because eternal life is living for others. Paul says in Timothy, he says, Now the end of the commandment is love out of a pure heart and a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some have swerved, having turned aside unto vain jangling. So now in Timothy, he deals with the conscience, and he says, the end of the commandment, or the law, the end of it all is love out of a pure heart. Lord, take us there. Take us to the end. Let us go on unto perfection. Laying aside the foundation of repentance. Laying aside dead works. And laying aside all of those things. Now let us go on unto perfection. Let us go on to the end of the commandment. Which is love out of a pure heart. And of a good conscience. He says and later in the same chapter. He says I charge thee son Timothy. According to the prophecies. That went before on thee. That thou mightest war a good warfare. Holding faith. And a good conscience. My. This is a little bit more than just. Repent and be baptized. Holding faith and a good conscience. Which some having put away. Concerning faith have made shipwreck. Right. Says so there's faith and there's a good conscience. Oh, we need the wisdom of God, saints. I was I was pondering wisdom and thinking, oh, I'm saying a lot this morning, I'm sorry. I don't mean to overload you. But you know, wisdom is not knowledge plus boldness. Some people mistake that as wisdom. Somebody gets a little knowledge and they've got a little boldness and they can quote the quotes, say the, say, say the scriptures, you know, tie things together, whatever more. That's not wisdom. That's just knowledge tied to boldness. Wisdom is much deeper than that. Wisdom is knowing how to rightly apply the Word of God. How to say a word in due season and where necessary be silent. That's real wisdom. You know, I, I, I was pondering it because, uh, I'll just say it this way, I think we get, God gave us a pastor with a real gift of wisdom. It's much more than knowledge. It's much more than just being able to say things. It's much more than just having been studied. But it's, it's a desire out of a pure conscience to lay the Word down and make actions in the right direction for the right reasons. That God might come behind it and anoint it and bring it to fruition. Because there must be a fruition to the Word. You know, we could take the, the, the Gospel and say, well, when you're doing mission work, you're always in the will of God. And, and certainly that's what Brother Branham said. But yet it's much more than that. It's more than just projects. It's more than just helping somebody do something. As Jesus said, the poor you have always with you. There's always things you can do with God's money. And I think Brother Biscoe just recently spoke on the woman with the alabaster box and how, you know, her desire was to take it and anoint Jesus. And Jesus said, you know, how she's done it to my burial because that was important to do at that time. But it seemed like a waste of money. 
You know, this could have built a church. This could have done this. This could have done that. But it had to be the leadership of the Holy Spirit. There was something in her conscience, in her being. She wasn't born again. There was something in her conscience that was driving her to that. I must take this and do this at this time in this season. And I don't know why. But yet I must do it. And she did it and it was for a purpose. And it's written to this day. And it so inspired me to hear Brother Biscoe speak about it. Because there's times in life where you absolutely need the wisdom of God. And it might seem like you don't have an answer. But you say, Lord, just guide me. I want to approach it with a pure conscience. Let my conscience be undefiled. Let me live in relationship with you. Let there be a right attitude of knowing right from wrong. Then when I move in a certain direction quickly, it will pick it up and know it's the right direction. This Bible speaks about deacons holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience. An unimpaired conscience. In the last days, we've come to I'll say in our society, a bunch of cripples when it comes to the conscience realm in this age. Totally impaired conscience development. Retarded, I'll say. Retarded development when it comes to their conscience. Why? Because they've been inundated with media. There's no God. Or, or there, there's no judgment day. Or everybody's a Christian. Or it doesn't matter how you live. Or, or this is no problem or that's no problem. I'll tell you what, Lord, I don't care what the world says. I don't even care what man says. Lord, just let me have a pure conscience. Lord, just cleanse my conscience until there's something in me that I can respond to. Not even be led by a minister in Cloverdale Bible Way. Do this, don't do this. Act this, don't act like that. That's not it, Lord. I want a pure conscience. I want a conscience that drives me to act. That when the Word is spoken, there's something inside of me that says amen to the Word of God. And let it manifest on the outside as well. But I especially want the inside. It's not the outside amens I'm looking for. It's the inside amens. Let the outside come. That's just encouragement in the, in the midst of the service. But when I read my Bible at home, God doesn't care whether I say amen on the outside. He cares what the response is in my heart where I read that and I say, Oh God, that's nothing but the truth. Let me be like a Hattie Wright that says, Lord, that's nothing but the truth. I think she was just a little widow woman that's that trying to raise her family, but she had a pure conscience. She could tell right from wrong that when a prophet said there was these squirrels and they were spoken into existence and this is how God dealt with me. Her, you know, the, the carnal, impaired conscience will say, how is that possible? That doesn't seem likely. Is he exaggerating? He seems to be going out on a limb here. But that pure, undefiled conscience of Sister Hattie Wright said, that's nothing but the truth. What did it do? It brought down the presence of God. It says, ask whatever you will. Lord, let me have an unimpaired conscience. Ask whatever you want and it will be given to you. You say it. A million dollars, it will happen right now. Appear right on the table. Healing of your sister. Whatever you want. Whatever your greatest burden is, you say it. God knew she was dealing in her heart, in travail with those two boys. Like a mother would be. 
Oh, for the salvation of my two boys. Titus says, Paul says to Titus, he says, Under the pure all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. Even their mind and their conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God. Now, who's he talking about? He's not talking about atheists out there. He's talking about people that profess they know God. He says they profess they know God, but in works they deny Him being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. But Paul says concerning himself and concerning the believers, and I believe there's believers here this morning. He says to Timothy in 2 Timothy, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience. I think you ought to just thank God this morning. That you've come to be birthed by the word of the hour and you can approach God with a pure conscience. If there's something troubling you in your conscience this morning, get it under the blood. Take it there this morning. And Peter describes it. Having a good, the believer is having a good conscience. That whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. He even talks about water baptism. And I wasn't even thinking of our sister. I just heard just before the service, Sister Way is going to be baptized. He says, the like figure whereunto even baptism does also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. The water does not put away the filth of the flesh. But the answer of a good conscience towards God. God spoke to our sister. And her conscience says, I must receive that. Something down on the inside of the inside. Her conscience was not impaired that she might say, oh, well, there's nothing to it. No, there was something that God was purifying there. And there's something that laid in a predestinated seed that said, I must respond to the Word of God. I must accept what He has done for me. I'm not of this world. I'm of another kingdom. I'm not coming from here. I come from God. And I go back to God. I was in His mind before the foundation of the world. He wrote my name on the Lamb's book of life. Amen. The answer of a good conscience towards God. May our conscience give the right answer. I'm so thankful for that this morning. When Jesus was walking on the earth, you know, they they had their religious ideas, but they couldn't discern right from wrong. And we often say, Where you would stand today is where you would have stood on that day or vice versa. Say, well, if I was there in that day, I would have believed. Well, if you'd have believed in that day, you'd believe in this day. Amen. doesn't matter whether we talk about Noah's day or Moses' day or whomever's day it was. The believer then is a believer now. Because the believer, the elect of the hour, are quickened by the message of the hour. Brother Brown was speaking about this day. He says... And I'm bringing this to a close. He says, Brother, it'll be so slick and sly until it will deceive 
the very elective possible. So you better purpose in your heart tonight and be filled with God's Holy Spirit that you'll be able to discern the right and wrong thing. That's the hour that we're living in. Another place right at the end, trying to do God a service, 1965, he says, watch how close it gets to the razor's edge now between right and wrong. And remember, it'll fall on one side or the other. And it comes down sometime like a honed razor between the difference of right and wrong. Now what are you going to do? You can't be intellectual about it. If it's just a razor's breath between right and wrong, you'll be deceived if you're relying on intellect. There's only one thing to rely on, and that's a pure conscience. He says, it's got to be every word of God. Not just almost every word, but every word. It's got down today not to Lutherans, not to Methodists, not to Pentecostals, but to that honed age. In this age where just the Antichrist anointing is so perfectly it would deceive the very elected that they'll fall on the wrong side if they don't watch it like a wedge. It says watch. Be careful. And then he says we're not living in the Pentecostal age now. We've passed that age. Now he says he's coming right down to the last age. What are you going to do? In the last days, the two spirits would be so close, it would deceive the elect if it was possible. We thank God that was added. If it was possible. But why is it not possible? Because she's had her conscience purged. That man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. That proceeds out of the mouth of God. Amen. It's not an impaired conscience anymore. It's a pure conscience. That when something comes in that seems a little bit deceiving, there's something on the inside of the inside. And I say praise be to God. There's something on the inside of the inside. We could go back to Job and say as he sat there on the ash heap, oh, they had lots of good arguments. They had lots of good debates. You read their debates. They sound so reasonable. But there was something on the inside of the inside of Job. That he knew that he had made the provided sacrifice. He knew that he had lived right. He knew that he had let God hone down his conscience as it were. Until he could stand on that day and say, something's not quite right. I'm just staying right here until I hear from God. And then he heard from God and says, I know my Redeemer lives. Amen. I know that though the skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. I know who I'm walking with. I know whom I have believed. And I'm fully persuaded that He's able to keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day. Amen. You might be like me that had prayed when I was just 12 years old and said, Lord, whatever it takes, don't let me miss the rapture. I didn't know what a message was. 
I didn't know the promises pertaining to the rapture. I didn't know anything about it. All I knew was I went to church. They talked about a rapture. I didn't understand any of it, but I knew at that age. I says, God, if there's one thing I need out of life, don't let me miss the rapture. And I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I committed to him at 12 years old. Who brought me down through life. From a family that, that, that had been in contact with Brother Branham, but yet had, had walked away from the teachings of the message. To a little place in the Okanagan, till God brought the word by my way there and quickened me. And I never looked back. In, in that, so 30 some years ago now, I never looked back. Why did I never look back? Because that was that which I committed to Him. Lord, don't let me miss the rapture. And He kept His word. And I've served Him out of a pure conscience. And I've desired just to see God on display. Is that your desire this morning? The desire of sin is gone. The conscience of sin is gone. Something changed in the believer that says, you know what, the things I used to think are okay are not okay anymore. Amen. Would the musicians come? The worshiper now able to tell the difference between right and wrong. The bride has the mind of Christ. She has the word and she knows what he wants done with the word. It doesn't say she understands every little precept in the word. That's not it. But there's something in her. I know what my God is like. I know that I understand him more today than I understood him yesterday. That I understood Him when I was first saved. When I was first born again. I didn't understand very much back then. I understand a whole lot more today. But I know I have a whole lot more to understand. But in all of the journey, I'm glad I'm in relationship with Him. We bow our heads together. She has the word and she knows what he wants done with it. Maybe there's someone here this morning that just wants to, with their heads bowed and eyes closed. Maybe you just heard it a little bit differently this morning than you heard it before. Or maybe you heard something that pricked your heart. Maybe you're not saved and you want to say, Lord, I need a pure conscience. Why don't you just slip up your hand to him? just in the confidence and privacy of your own personal experience with God. Just say, Lord, I want you. I want that experience, Lord, that takes all the selfishness out of it and misunderstandings of our relationship. I want to walk in communion with you. Lord, won't you come down in a greater way in my life? Lord, I know I'm living below my privileges this morning. Maybe there's somebody here that says that that doesn't really understand the word. Lord, won't you open my understanding? Lord, won't you come by my way and cause me to see things the way I ought to see them? Come and cleanse me, O God, until I'm looking from that heavenly perspective. Just slip your hand up to Him as we pray. Heavenly Father, 
Lord, just a subject this morning that maybe is ultra simple. But yet, Lord, so many aspects of it that apply to our lives, Lord. As we lift up our thoughts to you this morning, church is not about learning something. It's about the Word speaking to us. Because a man has waited on God, and people have waited on God, and they've come desiring, Lord, to hear from you. And because of that, Father, I know that it doesn't rest on my ability to eloquently convey any particular subject. It rests on the power of the Holy Spirit to come to the individual and reveal the mysteries of God. Lord, I commit the hands that are raised and the lives represented in those hands into your care, Father. Lord, may you come by their way this morning in their particular need. For you're a, you care for them. And you said that because you care for us, we ought to cast our cares upon you. Lord, even sometimes in, in our home life, in our relationships, and our families, we need a constant cleansing of the washing of the water of the Word to keep us in a right attitude towards each other, Lord. I pray, Father, that you'll grant that to everyone that has need of it this morning. For, Lord, there's nothing for the sons and daughters of God but what has been given in this hour to raise us up. Truly, Lord, the Word will even change our mortal bodies one day. It's so powerful what you have brought in this hour, and, and it's so quickening and alive. It's such, Lord, a, 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 a moving force, Lord, within the bride of Jesus Christ, moving us every day, drawing us closer to you. Father, if there's anything in my life, anything in my spirit, any scars, Lord, any, anything, Lord, that would hinder the free move of your Holy Spirit in my life, Lord, take it out of me. Let there be a pure conscience. Let there be love unfeigned. Let there be faith that is pure, Lord. We commit ourselves to you because we love you. And we adore you and thank you for bringing us into relationship with you. We ask it for your glory in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together as they get ready for baptism this morning. Create in me a clean heart. Just pour our hearts out to Him this morning and renew.